I hope during this holiday season that uh, you will see fit to make provision to make a gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It is um, it's an amazing thing to think about. Um, $250 million coming in over the month of December to uh, underwrite the needs of our missionary servants. And so you have, <coughs> excuse me, the opportunity to give that year-round. But we really promote it at Christmas time because it is a season of giving gifts, and I can't think of a better thing to give than the gift of eternal life and supporting those who are helping to uh, share it. The gentleman that just went out the door uh, takes care of our uh, tithes and offerings, makes sure everything's secure. His name is Donnie Burris. He is the president and CEO of the Northside Baptist Church Flower Committee. And uh, he has said, if any of these poinsettias belong to you, thank you for letting us use them to decorate the church, but please take them home today. He's tired of watering them. And so um, <clears throat> if, you see, if you see Mr. President, you can tell him I made the announcement for him. Well, today, um, Christmas really is one of the not the hardest, that's not the right way to say it. And not intimidating, that's not the right word either. Um, it's a challenge. Because you guys know the Christmas story, right? Luke 2, 1 through 20. The classic uh, recitation of the shepherds and the angels and the stable. So how do you tell a bunch of church people something that they've heard every year for as long as they've been alive, something that is worth listening to? not intimidated by that because I think that the power is not, not actually in the communicator. It's inherent in the actual word. And so we're going to read through this. And I hope with, with me that you will engage what I'm, I'm going to call expository celebration of the story of Christmas. The challenge, I think, sometimes is for us to leave the, the Bible's message as a history lesson, like something that happened a long time ago, you know, in a, in a much darker age. And so I want us to celebrate the advent, the coming of Christ, but I, I want to use the story to bring it into kind of contemporary relevance to not just ask the question historically, how did Jesus show up? Past tense. But to use the story kind of as a paradigm to talk about how Jesus shows up in our life. You, you want God to show up in your life, don't you? So how does he do it? Have you really given a lot of thought to how God shows up in our life. I, I find people consistently, I had a conversation with someone the other day, saying, I just want to know my purpose in life. And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in here. And what they were wanting is for God to write something in the sky to tell them what they're to do. He's not going to write something in the sky when you're not listening to what he's already told you he wants you to do. And so how do, we, how do we realize how God shows up? So looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, I want us to see four principles and, and one effect. What happens when God shows up? First, to establish four points, four principles for how God shows up in our life. <clears throat> Beginning in verses 1 through 5, we find this uh, issue. Uh, we see uh, paralleled in Joseph and Mary's experience that God shows up for people who feel like they're victims of random circumstances. God, God makes it his specialty to show up for people who feel like they are victims of random circumstances. You know what a random circumstance is? I love this because it happens to me almost all the time. You go to Walmart. See, y'all are laughing already because it's 
It's Walmart. Um, it's, it's fun. You go to Walmart, and you don't really have a whole lot, and you are looking for the shortest line, right? I mean, does anybody, like, look for the longest line? No, you're looking for the shortest line. They have about 50,000 checkout lanes, and only 10 of them are open, and um, you're looking for which one is the shortest line. Why? Because you're in a hurry. So you go to the line that there's only two people, but the lady in front of you has like one billion items that she's ringing up. And and whenever you find that shortest line, you know what happens. Every other line in the entire store goes like at warp speed, and you're like a snail would be able to progress through this line faster than I am. That's a random circumstance. You're like, oh, goodness gracious. No matter which line I would have picked, it would be the slowest line in the entire store. Random circumstance. Sometimes those random circumstances carry a little more (coughs) gravitas, what line you're in. And listen, I see people do this all the time, okay? Some of you, I've seen you because you got a north side sticker on the back of your car. You drive in the parking lot for 35 minutes waiting to get a close parking spot. And you're praying the whole time. You're circling like a shark, you know? You're looking for your next victim. You wait for someone to come out and then you stalk them to their spot and then somebody who just pulled up 30 seconds ago pulls right in, and you're like, oh, sweet Jesus. Um, random circumstances. They're nothing new. There's nothing about our age or our technology that makes random circumstances less real. Listen to the random circumstances from Mary and Joseph. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In those days a decree went forth from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This very first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone wanted to be registered each to his own town. Stop right there. One of the things that I love about Luke, Luke is a doctor, um, pays attention to details a little more than Matthew does. He is rooting the whole Christmas story in solid, objective, historical fact. Who um, Who was the emperor? Caesar Augustus. All right, so now we have an idea of where to locate this in world history. Um, What else do we know historically? Well, it was the first registration, so can we find historical evidence for that? While Quirinius was governing Syria, Luke is rooting. uh, There's a temptation sometimes to go, oh, well, that's gospel, which is basically what people are trying to say is it's like Aesop's fables. They're stories with a cute meaning, but they're not really true. Luke goes, oh, hold on, Mr. Culture Despiser. We can actually track this historically. This is a true story. This is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. The the entire world was to be registered. And during that census, Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria, made sure that he carried out the emperor's decree. So Joseph and Mary left. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. This is, in uh, Bible language, a really kind of unfortunate random circumstance. Um, We are, I am, my family already is, in San Antonio. I fly out this afternoon to join the rest of my family. We planned this all the way back in May. Uh, Marcy's brother has dealt with some really terrible health issues, And uh, we just knew if we don't go, we may regret not spending time with family. It's been a long time since we've been to San Antonio. We planned this back in April or May. I'm willing to bet some of you are still trying to figure out what your Christmas plans are. Some of you are last-minute kind of folks. And so here's the issue. It appears that um, (laughs) as they are planning their wedding, 
that Joseph and Mary did not plan on taking a trip while she is in the ninth month of pregnancy. As a matter of fact, guys, if you're a last-minute planner and you have gotten some criticism, can you imagine what Mary said to Joseph? We're going to do what? You're going to make me ride a donkey how many miles while I'm nine months pregnant? So guys, listen, your plans are not as bad as Joseph's. Hey, Mary, guess what we're going to do? Guess what we get to do for the the holiday season? It was not a good idea. It seems like they were traveling at an inopportune time, not out of personal preference, but out of political pressure. There, There was an edict, a decree, a law that was passed. And yet, even in this random circumstance, God is at work. It's cheesy, but there's some truth to it. History is his story. The Bible says something really amazing, that God, with all the wisdom and all the power and all the strength in the world, could have made Jesus come at any time. Listen, he could not have come 2,000 years ago, and he could have shown up like right now, and people would have still been waiting. God has the power to have made the incarnation happen at any time. But Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time came, when it was just right, God sent his son. And the thing that's amazing, this will be offensive for nobody here, but for someone who is decidedly not trying to follow God, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, God used them and their own planning and machinations to sovereignly move Mary and Joseph to the place where Jesus needed to be born. Bethlehem, the town of David. So God is the one who is causing this. It's not a random circumstance. And he's actually arranging for them to get just to the right place at just the right time. One of the mysteries of life is God's sovereign control of all things. Sovereignly in control here, though it's not apparent on the surface of the story. And it's real easy, uh, especially for your kids tomorrow morning, to really be willing to affirm that God is good when they're opening presents and there's wrappings all over the floor. Oh, isn't God great? Look at all this stuff and all this, this food. It's another thing to affirm God's sovereignty when the random circumstances of life are maybe not what you would want them to be. Easy to affirm God's goodness and sovereign control when you sense his blessings. <clears throat> but I want to tell you a story about uh, two saints from our church that I've had the chance to visit with this week who will, uh, for the most part, remain safely anonymous. Uh, saints who, within the last several weeks, have gotten um, medical advisement that was certainly not positive. And yet, going into this Christmas season with more joy than possibly me, possibly you, have lived a full and ripe life and have had the opportunity to walk with the Lord for so long that they see his goodness, even in the midst of a random circumstance, that by any objective measure is not good news. As a matter of fact, I'm going to encourage and just uh, love on a dear brother, and he's giving me a list of jokes to tell in the pulpit on Sunday, most of which I can't share because they were just too terribly cheesy. But he did give me one. So here it is. A, a love offering from our brother Rob Rainey. Young man was uh, married and um, wanting to ask an older man about what is, what is the secret to marital bliss. And it was obvious that this couple, had, you know, the longer you're married, the more you kind of look like you go together. It was obvious that they'd been married for a really long time. 
And so he said, well, man, how do you do it? I'm getting ready to come up on this anniversary, and I'm looking for ideas. Well, Sonny, let me, t- let me learn you a lesson. When uh, it was our 25th anniversary, I took my wife for our anniversary to Hawaii. Wow, that's awesome. Now, you've been married a long time. Yep, coming up on 50 years. Well, what in the world are you going to do for your 50th anniversary? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to Hawaii and get her. And this from a man who knows that the sands of time are draining out of his hourglass. No regrets, no fear, because he knows that God is in control of the random circumstances of even the mutations of the cells in his body. That's amazing. That's encouraging. Second thing, not only does God show up in the midst of random circumstances like he did for Joseph and Mary, (coughs) number two, he shows up right on time. Right on time. Now, we have a problem with this (coughs) because apparently it's like Pacific time on, on the way that God tells time. It's never on Eastern time. Like, if you live in Eastern time, God is not on your time zone. He's on a completely different time zone. And yet, he shows up right on time. Here's how it happens in this story. Look at verse 6 and 7. While they were there, in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. (coughs) Excuse me. The time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place. They show up to Bethlehem. They have some work to do. God has sovereignly been arranging the random circumstances of their life, but they still had to travel. And when they got to Bethlehem, guess what? They still had to search for a place to stay. Just because God's in control doesn't mean you get to sit back and be passive. God ordains not just the ends, but the means by which you get there. And so you have work to do. And they get there, and because there's no room at the end, they are uh, literally... Uh, birthing this firstborn son in a barn. Not luxurious. Now, there are all kinds of weird ways that kids are born in bathtubs and in pools and upside down and hanging from trapeze. I, I, I don't know. I don't hear of doulas delivering babies in barnyards. Yet you never hear any even hint of complaint from Mary Joseph you get the sense that, you know, it's maybe not luxurious, but it is at least what we need. And so here, here's the challenge for you when we recognize that God shows up right on time. I, I don't know if you are like a lot of people. There are some people in life that when you meet them, you just come to recognize that they have a, a particular spiritual gift. And it's the spiritual gift of complaining. I uh, is terrible. I'm giving no stars to barn-stable bed and breakfast. The coffee's cold, the eggs are runny, and the bed's terrible. You don't, you don't get the sense of any complaint. Because no matter what your circumstance is, okay, I'm going to sound like a grandpa, and that's okay. Whatever your situation is, it could be worse. It could be worse. Well, what in the world is worse than being born in a barn? being born on a donkey, I think. (laughs) 
being born on the side of the road, being born in the back seat of your husband's car as he drives rapidly to get to the hospital and there just wasn't quite enough time? Well, thank God you cleaned out the back seat of your car last week. It could have been worse. The point in this whole story was not not about Joseph and Mary's comfort. Not about the luxury of their accommodations. It, it really wasn't about Joseph and Mary at all. There was a much bigger point that God was sending his son, his only son, his beloved son, not born in a palace, born in a barn. He's making a point about the son's humility because if he is to be expected to live fully obedient to the law of God, even as Philippians 2 tells us, to the point of the obedience of death, and not just any death, death on a cross. If he was expected to extend his life as a sacrifice for all, then being born in the barn is the appropriate humble sacrifice for a man who is so humble to follow his father to the point of an inglorious death. How he begins his life in humble circumstances is not all that different from how his um, earthly life ended being crucified as a convict. There's a bigger point to be made. So be careful about what you complain about. It's amazing to me that Mary um, doesn't write a flaming review. There's no Airbnb. There's no kayak. There's no hotels.com. She just humbly receives what God gives and recognizes, hey, it's not much, but it is at least what we need. So tomorrow morning, moms and dads and boys and girls, if you don't find under the Christmas tree perhaps exactly what you were expecting, or rather, should I say, demanding. Don't assume because you don't get what you want that that means that you are uncared for. God shows up right on time with whatever it is that you need, not necessarily what you want. <clears throat> I had the opportunity last week to spend some time with a man of, of considerable resource. Not a member of our church, but certainly a friend to our church and uh, has had the opportunity to build a very successful business and um, has uh, made more money in one year than I'll probably ever see in my lifetime. And he told me the story of how when he was growing up, he grew up in a very poor family where uh, a typical Christmas for him was getting an apple or an orange. Didn't know any better because for the first 10 years of his life, that's what he got because it's what his parents could afford. He was 10 years old before he actually opened what we would call a Christmas present. He got a baseball bat and a ball glove, 10 years of age. And he thought, wow, what in the world has happened? I've struck the gold mine. And now the Lord has made him a man of an incredible resource. And he was just reflecting on how God, from humble beginnings, took him to a place where he has the opportunity not only to bless his children and his grandchildren, but to, to use his money for good for sending missionaries over the world. And I looked at his refrigerator and saw about 40 little postcards of different missionary families that they were supporting because God had given him the resources and taught him how to be content with the little. And he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. And God had entrusted it to him because he was going to use it for God's glory. It's an amazing thing. He shows up right on time with exactly what we need. I had a lunch yesterday with a missionary, Daniel Reese, 
Some of you know Daniel. He's done some evangelism training for us. He's a, a church planning missionary evangelist in the Charlotte area and uh, left pastoring uh, to be full-time in evangelism. He, he, you cut him and he bleeds the gospel. Um, he's only at a point where he has uh, uh, achieved about 60% of his fundraising efforts, uh, which meant, you know what? One of the ways that we're going to sacrifice and bear our cross is no Christmas for our kids. Sacrificing what we can to do for them, but um, going to have a pretty humble Christmas. And then Friday, a church that he's partnering with showed up on his doorstep with $1,000 in cash to say, do something for your kids and your family. Right on time. Heck, he, he's going to do his Christmas shopping earlier than I am. <laughs> right on time. And that's just the way that God works. Number three, in verse eight, we, we, we see that he shows up for the people who least expect it. The people who least expect it. Verse eight is another just historical note. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Shepherds certainly didn't expect to be at the forefront of any kind of political or theological pivot point in history. But God takes the initiative and demonstrates his control by showing up for the people that would at least expect a personal telegram from God himself. Uh, Shepherds are not a reputable lot. Uh, Please forgive this analogy for any of you fine men that have served in the U.S. of A. Navy. The shepherds were considered like sailors. They had mouths like them. Um, enjoyed uh, a brewski every once in a while, and if sailors had a girl in every port, shepherds had two. As a matter of fact, their reputation was so low that their testimony in a court of law was not permissible. It would be like calling a uh, drug dealer to be a character witness. You go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't care what he saw, I don't trust him. That was shepherds. And don't you find it rather interesting that the original heralds were the angels, but then the angels disappeared. We'll see that in a second. They made the announcement to a group of shepherds and said, go tell, and then the angels go back home. In the news, at least originally, about the advent of Christ, the coming of the Christ, is not proclaimed by angels to people. It's proclaimed by angels to shepherds and from shepherds to people. There's amazing condescension and humility in this entire story. And yet it is amazing. They are the first people to declare his work. And it doesn't surprise us that when we get to the resurrection, the first people to tell the story of Christ's glorious resurrection are not the apostles and it's not the king and it's not the pope. It's a bunch of women who in that time likewise would have found um, their uh, rights and equality very different than we find it today because they too would be incapable of testifying in court. And yet God shows up to those who least expect it and declares his work. Here's the thing that is the principle behind why he shows up for those who least expect it. Jesus says, like a physician, he came for the sick, not for the healthy. People who don't expect it think that God just doesn't care. He doesn't see me. And he proves quite The contrary, that despite the social pressure or the stigma, he shows up to shepherds at his birth and women at his resurrection. And he says, I came for those who are sick, not healthy. People are humble. And the challenge is we are not a very spiritually introspective people. I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're sick to the point of death. 
with sin. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And so if you are, in your opinion, healthy spiritually, uh, another word for that would be self-righteous, then the antidote that Christ has, his righteousness, is of no concern to you. You already have your own righteousness. The problem is it's not to save you. Everyone becomes a Christian by expressing some humility. Yes, I'm a sinner and I am in need of grace. And there are some people that just don't have enough humility to ever utter those words. Today, oh, if you do not know the Lord, he says he came for those who are willing to admit their need, not for those who say, no, 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 I don't need anything, I'm okay. Number four, our last principle. He shows up with even greater news than we could ever expect. Greater news than we could ever expect. Verses 9 through 14. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Biggest understatement in the Bible. Some of you scare easy. (laughs) I like to scare my kids, and... um, they were sitting around the kitchen table. Uh, I forget. Oh, they were watching a YouTube video of uh, some movie trailer or something like that. And so there's, there's, here's the screen. I think they're looking on Chloe's phone. So here's the screen, and here's like five heads. I had to do math. That was hard. Um, that do, there's like five heads all right here looking at the screen. And it's about 9 o'clock at night. So I sneak out the front door and come running around back onto the deck because they can't see me and pound on the windows and it was like a horror movie just took place in my, in my kitchen. It was awesome. Like hanging from the rafters, running up the stairs, crawling under the table. It was epic. It was awesome. <laughs> I tried to scare my family at that time. Um, there are times I have scared people without really meaning to scare people. So like I'm standing here in the bathroom, you know, brushing my teeth, and the light's coming in through the window, so there's no light on in, in the bathroom. So Marcy comes in thinking it's unoccupied, and I'm right there, and I'm not trying to scare her. She just comes around the corner, ooh, you know, and she just kind of startles. The word that is used for the angels appearing is the same word that is used for an assault. They're hiding in the woods, waiting for you to come down the path so they can ambush you. The angels were there. It says that they've appeared. Like, it's not like, oh, look at that little tiny pinprick of light getting closer to us. No, it's like, not there, boom, there. Surprised surprised so they show up and here's what they say the angel said to them don't be afraid they were terrified first word from the angel fear not for look i proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today a savior who is messiah the lord was born for you in the city of david this will be the sign for you you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. I think to really understand the flavor of this passage, you have to contrast what we know about the internal, emotional, and psychological state of the shepherds. They're a rough bunch but they are scared silly. And so you have to understand that and then hear the angel's message. We're freaked out. Don't be afraid because I have, I have come to bring you 
bad grammar, the goodest, most joyful news that we could possibly bring. That's what, literally what it says. I am bringing you good news of great joy. This is the goodest, greatest news that could be heard. Well, what's the news? Not that there's a laser and fireworks show in the sky over the fields that they're watching, but that there is a Savior baby who has been born under the most humble of circumstances. A baby wrapped in cloths isn't the sign. It's the lying in a manger, lying in a stable. A Savior baby, and we are told, given his full regal title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a name, it's a title. Lord, meaning master. Jesus from Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves. Messiah, meaning anointed one. The king, this is who it is. And then the message is so incredible. The angels all show up. There's one, and now there's a bunch of them. They're like rabbits. Where'd they all come from? Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Twice this is reported, this idea of the people. Who are the people? Uh, This is the sign, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Definite article, not indefinite. A specific group of people. The angels then sing their song. Glory to God, peace on earth to people he favors. Who are the people? Who are the ones that know God's favor? It's not Americans. We're not even in this story historically. It's not just Jewish people. There is no skin color or socioeconomic status that makes you a member of the people. Rather, it's a spiritual distinctive of people that are humble to admit that they are a sinner, to admit their need of a savior, what the Bible would call repentance and belief. You want to know how you get to be the people that God favors? The people who receive this greatest, goodest news, this glorious, peaceful news, that there is peace with God. There's only peace with God for people who place their, who, who turn from their sins and place their faith in Christ. You don't do that. The Bible says you are at enmity. You are at war with God. Now you, I'm not at war with God. I don't even, I don't even know anything about him. When you make yourself the king of your own life, you're at war with God. You may not like it to phrase it that way, but either he's king or you're king. Peace with God is possible when we repent and place our faith in Christ. <clears throat> so we've looked at four characteristics of how God shows up. He shows up in the midst of random circumstance. He shows up right on time. He shows up for the people that least expect it. He shows up with the greatest, goodest news that we could ever hear. What's the result? Well, verses 15 through 20 kind of explain what happens once God shows up. And here's what's amazing as we look at the story of the shepherds. Verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. One word, confirmation. Confirmation. The angels told us That was really freaky, uh, really incredible. Um, But they said, go look. So we're going to do some fact checking. Let me be really clear here. There is nothing about being a member of a church that saves you. There's nothing about having a mom or a dad who is a believer that has any vicarious saving benefit for you. Now, listen, having a mom and dad who's a believing mom and dad is is an incredible blessing. 
But apart from personal faith in Christ, you're not saved. So, so every, <clears throat> every church that gathers is preaching to a mixed bunch of people who are saved and know it, people who are not saved and know it, people who are not saved and don't know it, and people who are, think that they're saved, but have never really put their faith in Christ. Maybe for you, this holiday season, it's about a little fact-checking of your own. Heard the news. You know, the word for angel means messenger. We, we tend to think of them as the theological equivalent of smurfs. You know, little babies with diapers and wings that fly around. They're actually pretty frightening. Um, I don't think if Papa Smurf showed up in the sky singing a song, I'd be real intimidated. So there's something about the angel showing up that's scary. But the word angel means messenger. So you don't have, you don't have an angel to proclaim to you the good news of the Christmas season, but you do have a messenger. And maybe you need to check the facts of, is he just a religious figure that we celebrate uh, at wintertime? Or is he king of kings and lord of lords? One of the things that happens, one of the results, is there are people who confirm the facts. Did this really happen? <clears throat> Here's what's interesting. What, what were the shepherds paid to do? Watch, watch sheep. <clears throat> they don't sit there and go, all right, well, let's call the boss man. Let's go wake him up in the middle of the night and see if he'll give us some you know, PTO, personal time off, because we want to go check it. They left their livelihood. They didn't go to work that night planning on being negligent in their duties. And we don't know what happened. I mean, um, it, it's possible, and I think probable, that they kind of drew straws, paper, rock, scissors, whatever, or the lowest guy in the totem pole goes, all right, sorry, um, Listen, John, you've got to watch the sheep. We're all going to town. And John's like, man, why me? I heard it too. I want to go see if it's true. It could be that they just delegated it to the lowest, the least senior member of the shepherding team. It could have been that they took the sheep with them. So Bethlehem is overrun with sheep, almost cartoonish. Sheep on top of sheep on top of sheep as they walk around looking, listening for a baby's cry looking for a place where this child is wrapped up in, in a trough. They went to work to do their work. They left their work to find a king. They left their livelihood. Number two, in verses 19 through 20, we see transformation. We've talked a little bit about the character qualities of shepherds. Uh, not the kind of guy you want to run into a dark, in, in a dark alley. The verses 19 and 20 say that they showed up. They said, hey, we heard some really crazy things. These angels showed up. The angels did not show up for Mary and Joseph. They weren't in the field. They were in the barn. So the, the, the shepherds are reporting what has happened. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, and she meditated on them. When you hear of somebody meditating, you think kind of quiet and peaceful. That's not what happens with the shepherds. They're a loud bunch. They're kind of boisterous. Mary is treasuring this up, meditating upon it in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds... They returned, went back to work, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Again, the facts were confirmed, and when that was confirmed, it led to not quiet meditation, but loud glorifying and praising God, where their lips had perhaps been used for foul language. Now it's used in praise of God. Their lives were transformed. Now, this is, this is probably too personal of a question. But if the person who knows you best had to use 10 adjectives to describe your language, would praising and glorifying God even make the top 10? Yes. 
It's a pretty serious question if you're a Christian, right? Your lips, if your life is transformed, should be about glorifying and praising God. Lastly, point three, third thing that happens, that confirmation, transformation, number three, proclamation. Look at verse 17 and 18. After seeing them, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Not only was their countenance changed by being people that praised and worshipped and glorified God, but their lips were now enrolled in a very particular objective to tell people the story about what they had heard and what they had seen. We don't know how many people because the Bible doesn't specify, but it says that wherever they went, they talked about this and all who heard it were amazed. They went from working with sheep to working with sheeple. That new flock, that new responsibility. And as we go into this holiday season, <clears throat> these are three things that I think are really actionable things for you. Maybe you're at that first stage where confirmation of the facts, exploring who Jesus is and, and figuring that out finally. Because there's no benefit in just cruising along in this religious la-la land where you dress up and come to church, but there's no soul in it. Confirmation. Transformation. Maybe the adjectives used to describe your language uh, show that you've not been dyed as thoroughly as you need to be, transformed as thoroughly as you need to be. Certainly every Christian that I know could do a better job at proclaiming. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if at Easter this year there are all kinds of people that fill up this room that are not here right now because of what was told by the shepherds? not historically, y'all. That's how it travels. The angels could have evangelized the entire world. The angels could have shown up like they did for the shepherds at every place simultaneously around the world and everyone could have known, if God wanted to proclaim the gospel that way, he could. But the angels made the initial proclamation to this least likely group of people who then had a responsibility to tell what they had seen and what they had heard. And the shepherds knew that the best worship isn't necessarily what happens on Sunday morning. Though I think that that's important. They knew that the best worship was a transformed life that had a passion for proclamation. So as we go into this holiday season where we celebrate historically what happened years ago, perhaps the most significant question is what is happening now. You just showing up for church and getting your Christmas Eve obligation out of the way? Or is this just the appetizer of a transformed life that has a passion to proclaim the truth of the gospel? Pray with me, please. Father, we take the good things that you offer to us and we turn them into something that is far less than your best. <clears throat> we mess with all your good gifts, and we abuse them. 
And I love them. They aren't. What we've done with them isn't what you intended. We've certainly done that with the Christmas season. We've made it a time where commerce is king, not Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us as we go into this holiday season to remember the most precious gift that we can receive, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That we can face the difficult, random circumstances of life and face it with no fear, because we know that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That those things that bother us, if we would just simply allow you Uh, your rule in our life, and we would adjust our life to the way that you tell us to live. It wouldn't be easy. Things would be so much better, knowing that we have honored our maker and our redeemer. So, Father, this morning, if confirmation, a search, is what we need, if transformation, character development, is what we need, if proclamation, doing our job as Christians, is what we need, may you convict us and begin a work in us that is beautiful, deep. May we bring you glory this holiday season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.